scriptures from the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 4. And we read from verse 1 through to verse uh, 42 of this section. It's page 1066 in the Church Bible. This incident in which the Lord Jesus engages with a woman from Samaria in conversation, something a Jew would not have done, but Christ has done this because it is the purpose of his Father to save this woman and many other Samaritans also. So John chapter 4 and verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go. Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah 
called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi or teacher, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labours. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Amen. Let us call upon God and prayer. Let us stand to pray. Almighty and eternal God, we have been singing this evening together of your works, your works that you have done of old, your work of creation in the beginning, whereby by your Son you made all things that exist in the heavens and in the earth. You made all things in the space of six days. And on the seventh day, you rested from your labor. Lord God, we bless you that our week is patterned on the week of creation. Six days for labor and one day for worship and for rest. That we might reflect upon the works of God. That we might behold your glory. That we might know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That we are not simply the dust of the ground, but we are men and women and boys and girls with immortal and eternal souls. Lord God, we come and we bless you this evening for your work of providence. The work by which all things hold together in the Christ. And we thank you that he is the one upholds all things and is guiding this universe and guiding the affairs of men and nations in accordance with your eternal purpose and will so that your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven we bless you this evening for the great work of salvation that work by which you take man 
and woman and a boy and a girl marred by sin and you bring them to Christ and you have given them in eternity to Christ and so in time they're called by the Holy Spirit and brought to see your mercy in Christ to see their sin before you and to acknowledge it and confess it even as this woman in the presence of Christ for the first time saw her sin and how her heart was exposed and how she, when she tried to play a religious game with Christ, that he showed her the sin that was within and showed her that she needed him. We thank you that you gave that woman ears to hear and a heart to receive and a will to obey the gospel as it went forth from the lips of your Son, our Saviour. We thank you that not only was she saved, but many Samaritans, that people that was despised by the Jews, that they wouldn't have any contact with they wouldn't travel through their land. They wouldn't have a conversation with them. Because they saw the Samaritans as those who were compromised religiously. Oh God, we thank you that Christ reaches people that man in his sin would not reach. We thank you that he reached out to this woman. And drew her to himself. And told her that the essential thing is that there is worship in the heart. Worship in spirit. The Holy Spirit. And worship that is in the truth of the gospel. Lord God, we pray tonight for our lives. And we ask that they would be lives transformed by the gospel. That we would be like our Saviour more and more. We pray that you would deliver us from prejudice. We pray that you would deliver us from partiality towards people. That we would make decisions. And that we would not make decisions in our hearts and minds. And say the gospel is for this one and not for that one. But that we would sow freely the seed of the gospel. And liberally among our families and to our friends, to all we come into contact with, so that as we sow, you may bless and give an increase. Bless this evening the congregation that is assembled before you. You know the hearts, the minds, you know the innermost thoughts of each one of us. Lord, we pray that. Where any of us are hiding from you and trying to avoid you, that you would search us and bring us up short as you did this woman. We pray for any who are burdened and cast down by the responsibilities and demands of life. We pray that they might know strength being put into them tonight and the blessing of being with your people engaged in your worship on the evening of your day. We pray this evening also for the nations of the earth, those nations that are in turmoil, where there is strife, where there is mayhem and where there is murder, and where there is um, the um, pursuit of the cause and the ideology of men. Lord, we ask that you would have mercy upon such nations. We think of the nation of Syria this evening, and we pray for your own people in that nation. And we ask that you would give them grace in these days of great adversity, that their light would shine before men, that their love would be towards their enemies even as Christ loved his enemies. And we pray that that love of Christ would, as it is displayed, 
melt the hearts of men and women to repent and to believe in him. We pray for the return of order and normality to that society. We pray for stable government. We pray for just government. We pray for the international community looking on and involved in various ways and each in a sense following their own agenda. We ask Lord God that you would have mercy for there is no mercy in man. Hear this our prayer and forgive our sin and lead us now into your truth. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, this evening we are turning to a short section in the passage that I've just read, John chapter 4. And we want to um, look together for a short while at verses 34 uh, through uh, to 38. And um, I've decided to preach in this passage this evening because, as you've already gleaned from the announcements tonight, um, we begin in earnest our autumn and winter program. Uh, and at the heart uh, of who we are as a church and what we do is, of course, mission. Yes, we meet to worship, we meet to be built up in our own faith, and that's what this day is about, the Lord's Day. But then we go out into the world uh, and the other six days we are engaged in mission as we go about our daily work, as we live in our families um, and seek to serve Christ and reflect Christ to a perishing and a watching world. And then we have those events in our church where we seek to bring others directly uh, under uh, the word of Christ. We have our Friday night clubs beginning this weekend and Friday evening with our coffee stop to the adults and then our Sabbath school uh, on the next Lord's Day and the women's program has been put in place to reach women and the men's program to reach men. And so this evening I want us to, to have a perspective on the work that we're going to be engaged in for the next year. And we're going to do that from John chapter 4 here. And these verses, from verse 34 to verse 38. We've seen here how uh, this whole context is Christ's engagement with a woman. That in itself was exceptional because uh, in that day and culture you didn't engage a woman in conversation in a public place. But added to that is the fact that this is a Samaritan woman. A woman to the Jews that was the Samaritans were beyond the pale. Um, they were the other community that you didn't have contact with. Uh, they were compromised by decisions that they had made hundreds of years ago in terms of worship and marriage. Uh, and so the Jews, if you were a true-blooded Jew, you didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. But here is the most true-blooded Jew ever, Jesus himself, born of the seed of Abraham, born of the seed of David, um, without sin, without prejudice, and he's reaching out in the opening section of this chapter to this woman and to her people. And in that there's a very important lesson for us, just as an aside before we come to our passage tonight. We are to be like our Saviour, reaching out to those who are deemed to be outside, those who are deemed to be off limits. And sadly, in churches today too, we can have the kind of mentality of the Jews, ourselves, and that we are better, and that there's others that we wouldn't have contact with. And Christ challenges us here. To have contact with what we might call the Samaritans in our society today. Those whose lives 
are morally impure, whose lives are a moral mess, those who religiously are very different from us, and we are to reach out in his name to them as he did, as he did. addressing their prejudices that they will often have about us, but also getting beyond and not getting diverted by those prejudices and getting to the real heart of the matter, that they need to be changed in their hearts by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, having said that much by way of introduction, we want now to focus on how um, to engage in the work of mission. Because what happens now, after Jesus has engaged with this woman, the disciples who've been offside, they've been away getting provisions for lunch because it's the middle of the day. They come back uh, and they're surprised to find Jesus talking to this woman. They're surprised, even more surprised, to find him talking to a Samaritan woman. Uh, and uh, he talks to them then about the mission field that is all around them. And he really says to them, uh, four things about mission that they have got to build in to their whole psyche, their whole approach to mission. And the first of these is in verse 35, and it is be expectant. The second is in verse 36, be urgent. The third is in verse 36 to 38, uh, be diligent. And the fourth then is back to verse 36, be joyful. Um, Christ says, uh, verse, verse um, 34, My food, said Jesus, is to the, do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Christ says, there's what gives me, that's what energizes me in life. He's not saying he doesn't need bread and water. He most certainly does. He's asked this woman for water. He sent the disciples for bread. But he's saying bread and water, material things, are not what energize me. That's not the, the secret to my life. The secret to my life and my person is the work the Father has given me to do. And isn't that vitally important for us as well? We need to work in order to have food and clothing, to be able to provide for our families. But you see, we are different as Christians from the world. And it's not food and clothing and possessions that drive us and energize us. No, it's the grace of God that is put in us in Christ. And so we're energized and our work is to do um, and our, our food is to do the will of him who sent us. And he has a work for you to do. And he's a work for me to do. A work that we're to begin and continue. And a work that we are to finish. And then verse 35. Do not say, do you not say four months more. And then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Be expectant. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's taking the literal harvest. The harvesting of the crops from the field. Uh, and he then uh, picks up on that and he says, I want you to, to think about the spiritual harvest. And Jesus often speaks of the church's mission as a harvest. On one occasion when he saw the crowds coming towards him. And he saw them in their helpless and lost state. What did he say? The harvest is plentiful. Um, ask the Lord to send out workers. Then in another place in the Gospels. He defines his own mission in terms of a farmer. He's like a farmer. And he goes out and a farmer, what does he do? He sows seed. And the farmer does that with a view to gathering a harvest. 
And Jesus says, I have come to sow seed, to sow the gospel with a view to gathering a harvest. He expected a harvest. And you and I, we are called to sow seed with the view and with the focus of expecting a harvest. And here in verses 35 to 38, uh, Jesus uses the verb reaps or harvests no less than five times. Verse 35, it occurs once. Verse 36, it occurs twice. And then verse 37 and verse 38. And then if you go back to verse 35, the noun harvest uh, occurs once. So he's saying harvest, harvest, harvest. That's what you're to be doing. That's how you're to think. And he wants to his disciples and us to view mission and approach mission in terms of a harvest. And he's saying, don't, uh, do you not say for four months more and then the harvest? You're thinking in terms of the future. But I want you to think of now, of the spiritual harvest that is before you disciples, before me now, among these Samaritans. Lift up your eyes and see the fields. And you see, what they're seeing here is the Samaritans coming out. They're coming out from this town of Sychar. They're coming out to meet Jesus now. Um, the woman has gone back and told them about Jesus. And they're flocking out from the town. And you see, there's a harvest coming towards the disciples. It's not months away. And so, in the kingdom of God, um, we should always think in terms of harvest time. Why is that? Because it's always seed time. The work of sowing the gospel goes on all the year round and so the work of harvesting is an ongoing work as well. And uh, so uh, Jesus wants us uh, and his disciples here and he wants us to think about the question do I think in terms of a harvest? Am I expectant? Do I expect people to be saved now? Or am I just content with sowing? And I think, well, if I've sown, and if I sow, that's all I'm called to do. Well, yes, it is a sense in which we're all called to do, because we cannot make people or bring people into the kingdom of God. But we're to sow with expectation. It was Kerry, William Kerry, the father of the modern missions movement who said expect great things from God and attempt great things for God and so as we begin uh, our program of work again and as we go about our daily lives uh, and as we unite together in outreach activities let us be expectant let's be expectant Let's be expectant in our praying. I've been struck recently, and I haven't had time to, to follow this through in my own devotions, but I've been struck recently about how we often think in terms of additions. One here, another there. And in the scriptures, we find an emphasis on multiplication. Multiplication. And we need to get beyond the simple addition and we need to get into our times tables as we, as our children do in school. They've got to get beyond, able to add. They've got to be able to multiply. And we've got to think in terms of multiplication in the kingdom of God. And is it in any sense because we don't expect that we don't see? Let's notice then, secondly, that Jesus says to them here in terms of his mission and their mission and our mission... To be urgent. To be urgent. We're looking now at verse 36. And he wants to convey to them the urgency. Um, 
The verse begins with a word that can be translated as even now. Uh, or as the NIV does. Or, the, or it could be translated as already. The reaper draws his wages. Even now or already he harvests the crop for eternal life. Jesus is speaking about what he has begun. This woman that he's engaged with in conversation. She has come to believe in him. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to recognize your sin. As this woman was brought to see her sin by Christ. And then it is to believe in him. To take him at his word. And to receive him and rest in him alone for the forgiveness of all that sin. And so Jesus has begun the harvesting. And we're told that when the woman goes back to the town, there are others who believe because of her witness. So there's a harvest going on because of her life. Harvest time has arrived. And if it is harvest time in this village of Sychar, if it's harvest time among the Samaritans, then Jesus is saying, you disciples of mine, you better have an urgency about you. You better be up and doing. You ought to be reaping. But what have they been doing? They've been in town buying bread. They've been worried about lunch. Concerned in a sense by about the outer man. And oblivious to the opportunity for the gospel that is before them in this town. As Christ remains there and speaks to this woman. If you have a background in farming. You will know that when harvest time comes. Everything else takes second place. At harvest time, the farmer doesn't start painting his sheds. He doesn't start fencing his fields. He doesn't say, well, I need to trim the hedges. No, he says, I need to get the crop saved and in. And actually, even those daily necessary tasks, and I'm thinking here, for example, if he's a dairy farmer and he milks cows, even those tasks are often adjusted. To allow the gathering of the harvest. Because it has got to take priority. Saving the crop is what matters. Before it spoils. Or before it's lost. And you see that's an urgency we're to have in mission. To seize the opportunities that there are now. And the interesting thing is that often... The best opportunities sometimes come when we're at our busiest. And we are inclined to think, I'll have to leave it to another time. And we say to somebody, I'll pick up with you in a week's time or whatever. And perhaps we need to be more urgent. And we need to have eyes to see that our generation will quickly pass away. That person that's asking spiritual questions today may be dead tomorrow. And so they need to be reached with the gospel. And we're to be like Christ. And we're to be like the farmer in harvest time. To give this priority to winning souls. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. But then let's notice thirdly here. We're to be diligent. We're to be diligent. We're looking now at verse 36. The second part of it. Through to verse uh, 38 um, Jesus widens his discussion of the harvest to include the sower as well as the reaper so that both the sower and the reaper may be glad together thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true the sower and the reaper labour to achieve the same result what is their goal What's the goal of the sower? It's a harvest. And what's the goal of the reaper? 
It's a harvest. Now they work at different times. And there are different skills and gifts required. And Jesus has just sown the gospel in the life of the Samaritan woman. And she has returned to the city and sown the gospel in the lives of others. And before that, John the Baptist has sown seed. And before that, the prophets of the Old Testament. And right the way back to Moses. And uh, these Samaritans, uh, they are familiar with these things to some degree. Uh, Verse 20 shows that because here's this woman um, and she talks about worshipping on one mountain. Which mountain should we worship on? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews, Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. There was a common heritage at a point in the past, these Jews and Samaritans. And so the Samaritans uh, are not completely or utterly ignorant of the things of God. They have a heritage. And the disciples, you see, others have sown and the disciples are about to reap the harvest. Um, um, but before them a great many people have sown seed. And so the role of the sower is essential and the role of the reaper. And uh, Jesus affirms verse 38 without their hard work um, then uh, nothing would be achieved. Look at verse 38. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. You see, others have been diligent. And um, honour is due to those who've sown and who worked hard at sowing, sowing seed. Um, and as much as uh, honour is to be given to those who reap. And so uh, there's something that we need to to remember here in this. That there is a sowing and there is a reaping. And we should be thankful in Carrickfergus that there are others who sow the gospel. There are other churches and there are individuals who are witnessing daily to the saving power of Christ. And there are churches which though they differ from us in theology and worship and in in various ways, they nonetheless preach that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And he's the only way of salvation. And we are to rejoice in the sowing that they do. And some of the sowing that they do, we may reap the fruit of that. And vice versa, some of the sowing that we do in people's lives of the seed and some of the prayers that we pray for other people, they may reap the benefit of that. Hudson Taylor and other early missionaries in China laboured for years and they saw little of a harvest in their lifetime. They were diligent in sowing. In the late 1940s, when the missionaries were removed uh, from China, there was around one million believers. And today it's estimated there is perhaps 130, 150 million believers. You see, there was a sowing. Sowing that was diligent. And there was a reaping. And we have got to recognize that our calling in our day here in Carrick Fergus, it may be to sow. It may be to sow. And if it is to sow, and there's not a reaping, let us nonetheless sow with diligence, knowing that there will be a day of reaping. Because there always is. It may not be in our time, but there's always a time of reaping. And so we must not, as Paul says to uh, the Galatians, I think it is, lose heart or become weary in well-doing. The Lord is not bound to our times or our seasons or our program. He is sovereign, as we saw this morning, in salvation. We thought about be expectant. We thought about be urgent. 
we thought about be diligent. And we come now lastly to be joyful, be joyful, be joyful. The work of sowing is hard work. It's tiresome work. Uh, it's a lonely work. And it can often be a discouraging work. Uh, we don't perhaps grasp that as much today in the realm of agriculture because we've got our tractors and our ploughs and we harrow the fields and it's all done with machinery and within a matter of days uh, massive fields can be ploughed and sowed and, and left to grow. But you think of the time when, this, when the ploughing was done with a horse. Think of the time when it was broken up then. Think of the time when they sowed uh, with what they called the fiddle uh, and they went and they were sowing the seed by hand, manually. And it was back-breaking labour. And there is that aspect to ministry and to mission. And we see it um, not only in the life of Paul, we often think of it in the life of Paul, but we see it also in the life of our Saviour. Here he is at this point, and he's weary, he's tired. He's a real man. And the heat of the day, and the journey, and the demands of people on his life are continually drawing it out of him. And there's times when he just wants to get away and have a moment's quiet, an hour's peace. And we know that even that at times is not possible for him. Uh, or was not possible for him. And so the work of sowing the, the seed of the gospel, it's a difficult, demanding task. Um, and that is one of the reasons, I think, why we shy away from it. Because uh, we tend, um, um, at heart, uh, to some degree, to be lazy. And we don't want to really have to do something that we've got to put our back into. J.C. Ryle writes, Work for the souls of men is undoubtedly attended by great discouragements. The heart of natural man is very hard and unbelieving. The blindness of most men to their lost condition and pearl of ruin is something past description. We've got to realise the ground that we are working with is hard ground. It's stony ground. It's thorny ground. Um, the, the, the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Man in his nature and woman in her nature and the child in his nature um, is dead in sin, blinded. And if they continue in that journey and keep sowing to their own nature, they will be hardened by sin. And you see, that's our task. So how can uh, the seed take root in this hard ground? Well, that brings us back again to the need of the work of the Holy Spirit. But that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And for that work, God has given his Holy Spirit. And so we're not to be filled with doom. We're not to be filled with gloom as we go about the work of mission. We're not to throw up our hands and say, it's pointless. It's a waste of time. Our generation is beyond redemption. We shouldn't say that. Yes, the ground is hard. It's stony. It's unfruitful of itself. But God is over the hearts of men and women. And he imparts spiritual life. Even as he has given each one physical life. And no heart is too hard for him to penetrate. No ground is too hard for him to break up uh, and uh, to make receptive 
to the seed. And so in verse 36, this note then of that we're to have joy in this sowing uh, comes out. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Do you go about the work of mission with gladness? Christ our Saviour did. And we should. And we have reason to be glad. Because there's a harvest. There will be a harvest. From your sowing. In your home. Among your children. There will be a sowing. There will be a harvest. Sorry, from the sowing that you do by your life day by day. As you live it for Christ before the world. There will be a harvest from the sowing that we do as a church. Amongst children and young people and amongst adults. There will be a harvest and so we rejoice together. But there's also not only a harvest, there is a reward. There's a reward. And uh, the reward that comes to those who so faithfully and diligently and expectantly and with urgency. Every Bible lesson taught. Every conversation you have with a non-Christian. Every effort to reach out. Will be noted by Christ. And will be recognised by Christ. And blessed by Christ. J.C. Ryle says. There are wages laid up for faithful reapers. And is not Christ himself our great example in all of this? Is he not one who sowed with expectancy and urgently and diligently and joyfully? We're told that who for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. That cross, that instrument of pain and shame and suffering. He didn't shirk back from it. He went through it in order to accomplish the mission that had been given to him. And uh, what uh, joy he knew. And what reward he received from his Father in heaven. And so we are to in the midst of all the challenges of sowing, to be joyful. To be joyful. Because there will be a harvest. And there is a reward that Christ gives to those who sow faithfully. So then let us uh, go to the work of the next year. Let's go to it with expectancy. Let's go to it with urgency. Let us go to it with diligence. And let us go to it with joy. Seeking to reflect our Saviour. In how he went about his mission. And then seeking to communicate our Saviour always in our mission. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father in heaven, tonight for Christ, the great missionary, the one who came down from heaven to earth, the one who came to seek and to save the lost, the one who did not allow prejudice or history or anything to keep him from reaching out to men and women. We thank you that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. We thank you that he was known as the friend of sinners. He was known among the tax collectors. He was known among the harlots of that day. He was known by this woman who had led such an immoral life. He was known by the tax collectors. He was known by the beggars 
and by those who are deaf and dumb and blind by nature because he reached out to them and he made himself known to them. We pray, Lord God, that we would be like our Saviour, that we would reflect him, that we would not allow our own prejudice, that we would not allow the history of our nation uh, or the past, uh, political ideology or anything to hinder us reaching others with the gospel. O Lord, enable us to sow the gospel in this year which lies ahead. To sow it by our lives we live, by the lips, the words we speak. To sow it expectantly. To sow it urgently. To sow it diligently. To sow it joyfully. Knowing that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. Lord, forgive us where our vision of you is too small. Forgive us, O Lord, where um, we are not energized by the work of your kingdom, but rather by the things of this world. Help us, O Lord, if we need to set aright our priorities tonight, or set aright uh, our focus tonight and our vision tonight, enable us to do that. And we pray for any in our midst who tonight is not focused on fixing their eyes upon Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. Enable them tonight to hear him speak to them. To speak into the void and the emptiness of their lives. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would put your finger upon the individual and particular sins of men and women who do not yet believe and enable them to see that you are the way and the truth and the life and enable them like this woman to receive you and rest on you alone for their salvation. In Jesus' name, Amen.